Thank you, Miss Stacy, Dad, and Roger Dale. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. Notice something since coming here. It's kind of worked out good for me. That when we started at 11 o'clock, we were usually exactly an hour and a half, and we got out at 12.30. So for 12 years, we're used to getting out of church at 12.30. Now, I've noticed since I've gotten Fridays to work on sermons, when I look at the video, my sermons have been a little longer. I'm running more like 50 minutes rather than 40 to 45. But still, I want you to take note of the fact that we're getting done before 1230. So it kind of works out where you're still kind of used to it and I get to preach a little longer and oftentimes it's even 1215. Well, today won't be one of those days because we have an extensive set of verses before us. But my goal is still to hit 1230, so we're going to see if that's possible today. So turn to Colossians 4, 7, and it may be hard for you to believe, but we've actually come to the last message in Colossians, our verse-by-verse study, which started on March the 19th, 2023. But there was a lot of John in expositions in between, so we don't count it as having gone that long in Colossians. But this last section here in verses 17 to 18 has a lot of personal data in it. And most likely, if you're just doing a regular reading of the book of Colossians, when you get to this last portion, more than likely you kind of hurry through it because it's this list of names and you don't have a clue of who any of these people are and you know, it's just our nature. Yeah, and you've got some reason for us. Just get on through it and we get to the end and start reading another book. But I'm here to tell you that this is a very interesting and instructive section if you just, as always, dig into it a little bit. Uh, John MacArthur calls this section Paul's group photograph. And in addition, this is Paul with his own hand, as we're going to see, signing his name at the end of this letter with this group photograph. What this is, is the people who helped Paul in his ministry while he was a prisoner in Rome. He knows very well that he was able to accomplish the things that he did in his ministry during this time period only because of the faithfulness of the many dear friends that were helping him who have stuck by him and who have been so helpful to him throughout his ministry. He also puts them in here as an encouragement to the church at Colossae and really to all churches who would ever read this letter, including our church here in this day in 2024. To Paul, the the people that he lists here in this last section of this epistle are absolutely indispensable to him. These are the folks who have been making his ministry possible. Nobody, he couldn't do it by himself. Even Paul couldn't do it by himself. In fact, nobody can do ministry by themselves. That's certainly true here at our church. I can't do this by myself. And throughout church history, it's always been that way with every biblically faithful church. You can go all the way back to Moses. 
He had to have help, remember? He had Aaron. Remember that story? He had to have Aaron and her, 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 hold up his arms. And they, and his arms were getting weak. They were holding them up for, for Joshua to prevail in the battle. He had to have help. He had to choose. They got so much. He had to choose 70 men as elders out of the nation of Israel to help him in his ministry. Proverbs 27 verses, verse 17 says this. Iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. Men help other men engaged in serving the king in ministry. And there are many examples of this all throughout the Bibles. And ladies help in serving our king just as much. And again, it's so true here at our church as well. Nobody can do this alone. Even as small as we are, we still have to have each other to have ministry here at Providence. And that's really the overall message of our text here in Colossians today. As we get to the end of Colossians 4, as you know, here's the setting. Paul is a prisoner in Rome. Now, this is the first, at this time period, this is the first of his two imprisonments. His second imprisonment is the one that ends in his death. During this one, he had some friends with him, friends who helped him, and we're going to meet those friends today. These are really kind of heroes because there was a price to pay to be associated with a prisoner. There was always the possibility in the Roman world that you could end up yourself in the same situation as that prisoner just by virtue of the fact that you were associating yourself with them. But they counted the cost. They made the commitment. They hung in there. And now Paul is going to tell us about them in the ending of his letter. The first one we meet is Tychicus. Now, if I mispronounce any of these names, it's going to be okay. Right? Because I'm highly undereducated and most likely you don't know how to pronounce them either. Okay? And what this is, is going to be more of like this sermon, like a biographical sketch with all these folks. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of gold in here that we can learn from these men. So let's meet Tychicus. This is the man with the servant's Heart. Let's look first at verses 7 and 8. Paul writes, As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Now, the name Tychicus means fortunate, and he was fortunate. We don't know a lot about him. He's mentioned five times in Scripture, but in each case, it's very, very brief. And he was fortunate because he was able to spend as much time as he did in the ministry with the Apostle Paul, who is really one of the most incredible people who ever lived on the face of the earth, the Apostle Paul. He spent years with Paul, as we're going to see. The first time we meet him is in Acts 20, and you may remember the story. Paul was winding down his third missionary journey, and he wanted to collect some money from the Gentile churches, like the church at Thessalonica and Philippi and Corinth. Why did he want to do that? Well, he wanted to bring that money as a love gift to the saints who were in the church at Jerusalem because he is working, remember, to bring the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians together 
in unity. And it hadn't been going so well up until this point. And Paul knows that it's crucial that there has to be unity between these two groups. And not only did he want to take money to the Jewish church in Jerusalem as a, as a show of love from the Gentiles and the Gentile churches, he also had in mind taking with him along with that money certain Gentile Christians from those Gentile congregations. And one of those is our man, Tychicus. And this tells you something about his servant's heart. Because he knew when he was asked to go that this would be a long and sometimes perilous journey. He's leaving his home. He's leaving his family. He's leaving his job, his friends, his fellowship at his church to go on a definite adventure. Because to go anywhere with the Apostle Paul was a guaranteed adventure, no matter where he went. And he had no idea how long this was going to take to go all the way to Jerusalem. It wasn't like hopping on a plane, going to do the business of ministry, and hopping on a plane and coming back. And yet he was willing to do it. And if you remember in the book of Acts, in every city along the way, somebody would warn Paul about what was going to happen to him when he got to Jerusalem. Paul, you ought not go to Jerusalem because here's what's going to happen whenever you get there. They're out for you. And as far as we can tell, nobody bailed out on him, including Tychicus. And now, as Paul writes Colossians, he's still with Paul. He's been to Jerusalem with Paul. And now... He's in Rome with Paul in his imprisonment. We see him also being sent to possibly fill in for Titus, like like a little interim pastorate in Titus 3. Paul loved him some Titus, and he wanted Titus to come spend the winter with him. So he sent Tychicus over there to kind of fill in. And then when Paul wrote the last letter that he ever wrote, which is 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4.12, look what he says. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. You know why? If you read that whole text, he wanted Timothy to come to him. And he knew Timothy would also have to leave his congregation to come to Paul. So who does he take to send this place? Tychicus, again, he went to fill in. This guy is a big league interim pastor filling in for guys like Titus and Timothy. So he's a messenger, as we see here in our text in Colossians 4. He's an interim pastor, and we never read of any problems coming from him. He's just a servant's servant. He's just doing whatever Paul needed him to do. By the time Colossians is written, four years has passed since he made that first journey with Paul to Jerusalem. The Titus and Timothy interims are in the future at this point right here. And he's so faithful to Paul. What's happening here is Paul is sending him as a, as a messenger with this letter to the Colossians. And so here he's not going to pastor He's just going to be the delivery man. He's just going to deliver the letter. And let me tell you something. That was no simple trip. He had to cross Italy on foot. Think about that. From Rome. Then he had to sail the Adriatic across to Greece. Then he had to sail the Aegean and then walk up the Lycus River Valley to get to Colossae, long journey, perilous journey. But Paul says he's going to come and he's going to bring the letter. You know why Paul could say that? Because he knew Tychicus would do it. He knew he would accomplish what he set him out to do. And he also had another letter with him. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21 and 22. But that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing, Tychicus, 
the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will make everything known to you. Verse 22, I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Now that's almost an exact quote out of our text right here in Colossians. Remember I told you the two letters parallel so much. So Tychicus has two very important letters that are tucked in his robe. And by the way, we know that Ephesians was kind of like a general circular letter that was written to all the churches in the area, not just the Ephesians. But he had one more letter with him. Philemon. Look down in verse 9 of our text. And with him, meaning Tychicus, Onesimus. Onesimus was the slave who was returning, who the book of Philemon is all about. And we're going to get to that in a minute. So man, think about it. Delivering Philemon, Colossians, and Ephesians that we're all still reading here today in 2024. You think Paul trusted this man, Tychicus? Huh? What a servant. No credentials. No, no doctorate degrees. No, no great sermons preached. We don't even know anything he ever said, except that he would give words that would comfort the people when he told people about Paul's situation, both in the letters of Colossians and Ephesians. But before we move on, I want to give you three things Paul said about him. Look at verse seven. He calls him our beloved brother. Now, how great. To have the Apostle Paul say that about you, our beloved brother. Then look next in verse 7. Faithful servant, diakonos, servant, never prominent, just served, did whatever he was asked. You need me to preach? I'll preach. You need me to fill in? I'll do it. You need me to be a liaison between you and the churches that are out there that you founded? I'm your man. Delivery guy, I'm the guy. The ministry has to have people like this with servants' hearts who are willing to do whatever is necessary to make the ministry happen. Look next in verse 7. And fellow bondservant, different words, son doulos, bond slave, and not a bond slave to Paul, a fellow bond slave to Jesus, willing to serve King Jesus through serving the apostle Paul. And because of Tychicus, we all have these, again, these three great letters throughout all of church history as he delivered them on the perilous journey. Now, next, we meet Onesimus. We just met the man with the servant's heart. And now we meet the man with the sinful past. Isn't it great to know that you can have a sinful past and still be useful in advancing the kingdom of Christ? That's why I'm here today. Okay? Now this ties us to Philemon because Philemon is the book excuse me, about Onesimus. Colossians is written to the church at Colossae. Philemon was written to one family in the church at Colossae. And Philemon was the head of that family, the dad. And he was one of the pillars of the Colossian church. His family was very much involved. And most likely the church met in Philemon's house at Colossae. Now, Philemon was a convert of the apostle Paul. Very wealthy man. And he owned some slaves as wealthy people did in that day. That was the culture. And one of the slaves was a man named Onesimus. But Onesimus, he didn't like being a slave. So he ran away. And during those days, runaway slaves were executed on the spot. But Onesimus decided, well, I think it's worth the risk. And when he ran, you know how far he ran? He ran all the way to Rome, which was a long way away. And then 
An amazing thing happened. When he got to Rome, he ran smack dab into the Apostle Paul. I want you to think about that for a minute. There were two million people in Rome at this time, and he runs right into Paul. What a coincidence, right? Okay. And just as Paul led Philemon to Christ, he leads this runaway slave Onesimus to Christ. So Paul writes a letter, the little small letter of Philemon, and he sends Onesimus back. And he says, look, I know he ran away, Philemon, but please don't kill him. He ran away as a slave, but he's coming back as a brother. He's been redeemed. So take him back and love him. Wow. So I want you to just picture this scene. The first moment. Here's Tychicus. He's got the letters in his pocket. And he's walking up to Philemon's house. Philemon's standing outside. And Onesimus, the runaway slave, is walking right beside Tychicus. Can you imagine the tension at that moment? And Philemon is standing there. And he's seeing that scene. But Onesimus comes back a changed man. Because like all of us, he now has a new nature. And he's ready to be a servant to the master that he left. And he wants to make things right. And what does Paul say about Onesimus in his letter? Look at verse 9. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of your number. John MacArthur has a great quote. Christ makes sure a man with a past has a past that's past. I love that. What did he say to the Corinthians? And such were some of you. So he's a brother now, Philemon. Take him in. Folks, that's what Christianity does. Nobody else does this. No other religion does this. As it's often said, (coughs) the ground is level at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter what your background is. I had Kyle Abair in my house last night, 98 arrests, five felony convictions, sitting there giving the gospel full force right with me. We were double teaming people last night in the house. And it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is or your IQ. doesn't matter what your background is. We're all one in Christ and we come to him. So Paul took a man with a past and he had the confidence to present him back as a new creature just like Paul himself was a man with a past. So I'm sure that he identified with Onesimus when they started having their conversation. Again, only the Christian faith produces stories like this. Stories like mine and so many others down through church history. Now let's look at the third man, Aristarchus. Look at verse 10. This is the man with a sympathetic heart. In ministry, did you know you got to have some burden bearers with you along the way? They're not out front doing the big things. They just go through the hard things with you. This was Aristarchus, verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings. His name appears elsewhere associated with Thessalonica, so we think that he may have come from there. He ministered with Paul in Ephesus for three years. And if you remember, there was a riot that broke out there in Ephesus. And when it did, Aristarchus was there. And along with Gaius, they were seized by the mob. And all of a sudden, they found out what it was like to be prisoners. And then after they get out, Paul goes to Jerusalem. And guess what Aristarchus says after going through all that? Sign me up, Paul. I'm ready to go. That's my kind of man. Bold, fearless, 
Christ-filled masculinity right there. And when they get to Jerusalem, what happens? Paul's put in prison. Then they move Paul to Caesarea for a little while as a prisoner. And then to Rome. And he's a prisoner on that famous boat ride. You remember to Rome in Acts 27? That was Mr. Toad's wild ride. We went through it verse by verse when the boat broke apart and they wound up on the island and the snake and the whole nine. Guess what? Aristarchus was with Paul through every bit of all of that, through the prisoner transfers and everything. And they get finally to Rome and Paul is back in jail and he calls him, as we see here in verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. Now, here's something interesting you need to know. He wasn't arrested. He's just sticking with Paul. If Paul's in prison, he's in prison by choice because he cared for Paul. He was sympathetic to Paul. He knew that Paul needed him. There are people who can't preach a sermon, who can't lead a meeting, but they can help bear a burden. And that's who Aristarchus was. We never read of anything particular that Aristarchus ever did, but whatever he did do, he totally gave up his freedom to do it, to be a prisoner with Paul when he hadn't even committed a crime. Again, MacArthur calls him a man for all seasons, the bad weather friend. Anybody in ministry can tell you, thank God for bad weather friends. Now, next we move to the man with the surprising future. Look next at verse 10. And also Barnabas's cousin, Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. So Mark is also the man with a second chance. Now, let me give you a quick summary about old Mark. Real quick. Early on in Acts, when Paul first started his ministry, he hooked up with Barnabas. Barnabas turned out to be a fantastic preacher of the word of God. And Acts 13 tells us when they got to Salmas and they preached in the synagogue, they had John, John Mark, as a helper. Now, John Mark was his full name. Paul was in the business of discipling people, and he liked to take young men along with him and Barnabas in doing the work. But when they got in their journey to this very dangerous mountain range that they had to cross to get over to Galatia, it was a rigorous hike, and the mountain range was well known for having bandits and robbers that would rob and beat and murder people along the way. Well, when they got to that mountain range, Old Mark bailed out. The Bible says he returned to Jerusalem. Boy, it was when it was smooth sailing, he was he was gun ho. But when it got rough, he went home to mommy in Jerusalem. And then when the second missionary journey starts to get ramped up, Barnabas goes to Paul and he says, Hey, let's take Mark. And Paul basically says, you have got to be kidding. No way, dude. I'm not taking him. But remember, Mark was Barnabas's cousin. There was a blood tie there. So Barnabas and Paul had a big fight about it. And Barnabas took Mark and went to Cyprus. And Paul took Silas to go with him for further ministry. And there was a split between Paul and Barnabas and Mark was the point of contention. And as an aside, when we first left friendship and I went to Brother Moak, this is the text that he quoted to me about the split between Barnabas and Paul. How I miss me some Brother Moak. Now, obviously since then, between then 
And now at this point in Colossians, here in Colossians 4.10, something happened to Mark. That's why we say he's the man with a surprising future. Notice how it says, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, you welcome him. Well, there had to be instructions given about him because he had a reputation for being a failure. So they had to be told, look, if he shows up, don't worry about what you heard. He's good now. He's straightened up. You can receive him. So Mark sends his greetings along with Aristarchus. This is, this is, this is just so great to know. 11 or 12 years later, Mark is restored to a place of usefulness in the ministry. Isn't it good to know that not only if you have a sinful past, but if you mess up and you go about getting restored right, you can be restored to a place of usefulness. And obviously Mark went about it right. In Philemon, Paul lists Mark as one of his fellow workers. So he's right back in the mix. And without going into detail for time's sake, you can check this out for yourself in 1 Peter 5. Just go and read the whole, the whole 1 Peter 5, or the whole book. When we read in 1 Peter 5, it looks like that Peter got a hold of Mark and was used by the Lord to turn Mark around. Now, that's a man to turn somebody around right there. It's some Peter. Peter knew some things about failure. Did he not? Huh? So he knew how to handle it. The perfect person, in fact, to help get Mark turned around in the right direction. And then somewhere along the way, Peter turns Mark back over to Paul. And then so incredible. Mark gets so turned around that he gets the privilege that belonged to only four men in the history of humanity to write one of the Gospels. He wrote the Gospel of Mark. What a story. And listen to this. Paul, he's, he's at the end of his life. He knows. He's fixing to finish his race. And in 2 Timothy 4.11, he says, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for service. Isn't that great? The same guy he had a fight with Barnabas about all those years ago. And now if there's anybody that I want here to minister with me in my last days, Timothy, along with you and with Luke, it's Mark. Bring Mark here. The man with the surprising future. Now next we meet the man with a strong commitment. Jesus Justice. What a name. Very tough to live up to, eh? Look at verse 11. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. You know why they called him Justice? To distinguish him from King Jesus. That's why. To start with, obviously his name was Special Jesus. Joshua in Hebrew, Savior. And then, you know what justice means? Righteous. Whew, that's quite a name. We don't know any more about him. Jesus the righteous. But look next in verse 11. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision and they have proven to be an encouragement to me. So these right here in verse 11, mean Aristarchus and Mark from the previous verse that we just read. And Jesus' justice are from the circumcision. What does that mean? That means they're Jews. Tychicus and Onesimus were not Jews. And Paul says, these are the only fellow workers with me in the ministry who are Jews. So many of the Jews 
rejected the gospel, rejected Paul's message. And as you know from Romans, he is deeply grieved, Paul is, about the wholesale rejection of the Jewish people. So Aristarchus and Mark, they're Jews. They've been around a long time with Paul. But, but Jesus' justice was fairly new. And things have gone along in the Christian faith. And that's why we say he was a man of strong commitment. Because guess what? For him to link up with Paul, he had to step out from among his people to join up with Paul. And there was always a price to pay amongst the non-believing Jews to swap over and join up with Paul and the Christian faith. Think of it. Think of it. Only three Jewish fellow workers stuck with Paul to the end of his ministry. But look, he says at the end of verse 11, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. And certainly a man like Jesus Justice who was willing to count the cost, pay the price and take a stand with King Jesus and with Paul was an encouragement to Paul along with the others. And that's the kind of men we so desperately need in the ministry today. Men who will stand up and be men and take a stand for the gospel, not curb any of the edges of the gospel, but preach it straightforward and the whole counsel of God. Now next, verse 12. Now this is a guy you ought to remember from our study. I mean, we only started it a year ago. Epaphras. This is the man with a single passion. Look at verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ sends you his greeting, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Now, if you think back, Epaphras was the founder of the Colossian church, most likely its pastor. Do you, does anybody remember why he was in Rome at this time? Bueller? Anybody? He had come to Rome, if you remember, to tell Paul about all the trouble the false teachers, remember, were causing in the Colossians church. We went through all that. That's what the whole first part of Colossians is about. Paul is writing this letter in answer to what Epaphras had told him. But Epaphras decides to stay a little while to spend some more time with Paul. So Paul's writing his letter that Tychicus is going to bring back. And he says, hey, Colossians, your pastor sends his greetings. He's still here with me. And he also says, look in verse 12. He's saying this to the Colossian church. He is always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. And notice also he is a bond slave of Jesus Christ, a doulos, a slave. Now next in verse 13, he says, for I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Areopolis. Those cities were about a 10 mile radius of Colossae. He has a deep concern for all of them. That word could also be translated pain. This man hurts for all of you. And what can he do for these people in this situation where he's so far away from all of them in Rome? Well, Paul tells us what he is doing in Rome in verse 12, laboring earnestly for you in prayer. So many examples in the Bible of how critical and important prayer is laboring earnestly. Greek word is agonized. Remember, we covered that a while back. It's not just going through the medical report and the prayer meeting. Medical report is important. We need to pray for people with physical problems for sure. But we're talking about here the prolonged, intense, effectual, fervent prayer for spiritual issues as well. Always laboring, always working at it, always being consistent in it as we learn. Not just little thoughts given up to God, but, but, but wrestling with God like Jacob. I will not let you go until you bless me. That kind of praying is what we're talking about. That's how Epaphras prayed for his people when he was in Rome and Paul saw him do it, probably heard him do it. That's something we all have to work at, right? Starting with me. 
Now, Paul ends verse 12 with that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. That's what Epaphras was praying for his people. And remember, perfect is not sinless perfection. It's not what that means. It's mature, spiritually mature, fully assured, fully developed, fully convinced, confident that the truth is the truth and growing spiritually in the truth. That's what's going to make you equipped to deal with the false teachers. He's praying for their doctrine and for their behavior to be mature. And that's my prayer for you. And it should be the prayer that all pastors have for their people. Epaphras was the man with a single passion that that his people would keep on growing in ever-increasing measures in spiritual maturity as he discipled them through the preaching of the word. Now, next we move to Luke. The man with a specialized talent. Look at verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Now, Luke, as you know, was a medical doctor. Probably the best kind of doctor you could have in that day. He was actually Paul's personal physician. If you remember back on Paul's first missionary journey, he was sick all the time. He was a sickly man. So on his second journey, he took Luke. I mean, that's a pretty smart idea. Take your personal doctor with you when you're going back out on the second missionary journey and you're sleeping outside and doing all the things that you're doing. And so God's work needs specialists of all kinds, not just preachers. And who knows but that Luke may have probably given up a lucrative doctor practice to go on the road with Paul. Probably did. MacArthur has an interesting insight here. He says, he must have been kind of fun for Paul to have along because he was an educated man and a cultured man, just like Paul. And when I read that, I thought, imagine the conversations during their travels, them too. Brilliant people, brilliant cultured people. Imagine them two talking around the campfire uh, at night. I mean, I bet they were the best of friends. Remember when I quoted in Second Timothy earlier, when Paul was dying, he said, and only Luke is with me. So they were close. And notice he calls him the beloved physician. He was his pal and his doctor. He knew every scar on Paul's badly beaten body by that time. He knew Paul better than anybody else as his doctor and as his friend. And Luke is a great illustration of a man who had a specialty to offer. And he could have done a lot of other things and made a lot of other money with it, but he gave his specialty over to the service of the king and the king gave him back a privilege that he never ever dreamed would ever happen. Luke wrote 52 chapters of the New Testament. The whole book of Acts and the gospel of Luke. That's how God used a man who turned over his special ability that he could have used to make a lot of money totally to the work of the kingdom. There is no way that Luke could have ever dreamed that that would be his story when all was said and done. He's probably still amazed about it in heaven right now. Now, hang in there. We're coming toward the the landing. Next, we encounter the fly in the ointment. The man with a sad future, we'll call him. At the end of verse 14, Paul adds, and also Demas. Demas sends his greetings along with Luke. At the end of Philemon, Paul talks about Demas there too as his fellow worker. Sounds good. Old Demas is another one that's hanging in there. Uh, at least around two years, best we can tell. He was with Paul during both imprisonments. But when we come to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, we read Paul tell Timothy, make every effort 
to come to me soon for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Sad. He didn't make it. He hung in there for a little while, but Paul says he left me. Why? He loved this present world system more than he loved Christ, more than he loved Paul. And we've all seen this, right? If you've been a Christian for any length of time, if you've been in the ministry ever, we've all seen this. Jesus had his Judas. Paul had his Demas. It's always sad. It's always disappointing. But you know what? That's the ministry. Lots of ups and lots of downs. But besides what Demas wound up doing, what a team, huh, that we got right here. And the current headquarters of the ministry was jail, Rome. What a story this is, right? So let's close. Y'all ready to land the plane here? Verse 15 says, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. So in the letter, he's writing to the Colossians, say hello to everybody at Laodicea and especially Nympha, whose house the church in Laodicea is in. The churches were meeting in houses, as you know, in those days. Church buildings didn't come into the scene until later in the in the third century. The, the church building, like we have a church building. And who knows in our future, we might be forced back into house churches with the way things are going in this country. But God is in charge of that, and we'll do whatever we have to do, right, to keep the church going. Verse 16. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. So this is important in understanding the development of the New Testament. These letters were read publicly to all of the church. And he tells the Colossians, look, after you read my letter, you pass my letter to the church at Laodicea for them to read and hear. And then you Colossians, you read the letter that's going to be coming to you from Laodicea. And that, as we talked about earlier, was most likely Ephesians delivered to Laodicea by Tychicus. Remember, Ephesians was that circular letter that passed around a lot of the churches in the area. And when they swapped these letters like this, and when they received other letters later, guess what they always did? They copied them down word for word. And then they would send them on again. And that is how, folks, the New Testament developed. And that's why we have so many copies today. Over 5,300 copies of pieces and parts or whole parts of the New Testament, of the autographs of the ancient writings of antiquity. In first place is the New Testament with over 5,300. It's in first place. Second, I think I'm right, um, and I, you can fact check me on this. Is it Homer, Iliad, and the Odyssey? Second place, about 12 copies. Second place, New Testament, 5,300 copies. That's why we can take 5,300 copies and put them all together and combine them and look at them and compare them and come up with this Bible that we have that we can trust is the Word of God. No other book like it. No other book close to being like it because it is what it claims to be the word of God. Now, next in verse 17, say to Archippus, or as David Miller likes to say, Archippus. I kind of like Archippus, so I'm going to use that. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Archippus was the son of Philemon. Remember, the Colossian church was in Philemon's house. So this is a heavy charge to old Archippus because he's obviously now a new young minister in the faith, in the church. And after laying out this whole list of people who were faithful to fill out their ministry, he says to Archippus, look, take heed to the ministry you just received to fulfill it 
just like these guys I just told you about, Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Jesus, Justice, and Epaphras. You follow their pattern of faithfulness that I just wrote to you about. You know what that is? That's an exhortation to us. Here is a portrait at the end of this letter of faithful servant. All but one of them have been very faithful. Demas, he rolled out. But folks, we've all as Christians been given different gifts. What will you do with your time, with your attention, with your energy, with your gift in this to help advance the kingdom of God in this world? That is the question I'm posing to you. As Steve Lawson says, if you're not in the game, get off the bench and get in the game and bring glory to your king. And Paul ends verse 18 with, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be to you. Now, Paul always dictated his letters to somebody else who wrote them down. But when he signed them at the end, he wrote them in his own hand so that they would be known to be authentic. He tells them, I'm still in jail, so don't forget about me. The kingdom is still advancing even though I'm in jail, and it's hard, yes it is, but it's still moving forward. And guess what? It's no different today. Jesus is still building his church, and guess what? He uses people to do it. Where are you this morning in his building project? That's the book of Colossians. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. What an amazing letter to the Colossians. A letter that wasn't just an ordinary letter. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit to be scripture for all of church history, for all of us to read and learn from all oh, those wonderful portions about Christ in the very beginning as Paul is coming against the false teachers. It just gives us such an amazing picture of the depth and the majesty of King Jesus. How we thank you for the book of Colossians. I pray that your people have learned as much and gotten as much from Colossians as hearing it preached as I have in preaching it and studying it. Thank you for it, Lord. We give you our praise today and we pray that everything we have done here today has brought you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.